So many of our images this Rosh Hashanah, our liturgy, profoundly moving and beautiful in every year. And for me, a bit more so this particular year. It's been an interesting summer for me. Rabbi Rami Shapiro points to the root of Shana, which we know as year, Lishanot, to change, Shinui, difference, change. And he says, so Shana really means change. The year's changing. It's a new year. And Rosh is head. So Rabbi Rami Shapiro says, literally, this holiday means changing of the head. And that that is what we are called to do on Rosh Hashanah, is to change our head. And by that, he means to change our story, to allow ourselves to be transformed, to let go of some of the ways we're locked in to seeing ourselves. And this year, more than any other in recent memory, I understand more about what that means. Just before my 50th birthday in March, I had set a year or two ago one of those things you can sign up for online that searches for you. You can put in a search term and it just keeps searching and it keeps trolling the internet. And I had put into this internet search engine the name of my birth mother because I'm always hoping for a hit, always hoping for some piece of information since I have nothing other Then she was pregnant, getting a divorce in 1965, had two other children and needed to give me away because she couldn't keep me. I always knew that that was a generous and difficult choice for her. And I had always fantasized of telling her someday how grateful I was that she'd made that choice and how much I owe her and that I'm fine most days. I'm good most days and how grateful I am for the life that I have. So this search engine hit on her address in Philadelphia, where I was born. And so I made the very difficult decision that by my 50th birthday, I would have a letter in the mail to that address. So my senior staff held me accountable to that decision, and they said, you have two more days, Amy, to write that letter. Your birthday is on Friday. I said, yes, thank you. I'm aware of that. And like good friends do, friends kept calling. Have you written the letter yet? Have you written the letter yet? My friends, Sarah and Paula, who I sing with, the other altos, uh, came into town to be with me for my birthday. And so we sat together while I cried and cried and cried and cried and typed and cried and cried and typed until I felt I was done. And we cried together as we held the letter in our hands and prayed that it should do whatever it was supposed to do in this world, and I released it into the world. When Cantor Frankel came by the office and said, give me the envelope. He said, why? He goes, you're gonna lose it. You're gonna put it in your car. You're gonna lose it. You spent all this time on it. Give it to me. I will make sure it gets there. Return receipt requested. You'll know exactly when it's in her hands. And like I usually do, I said, okay, Chaim, here. You take care of it. So he did. About a week later, the envelope came back unopened. 
the post office couldn't find an address for anyone matching that name. And I was a strange mix of relieved and devastated that my words hadn't gone anywhere. And then Cantor Frankel said, as he always does, if you know him at all, when I said, it's done, that's all there is to do, Cantor Frankel said, oh no, my friend. Oh no, I know somebody. I know somebody in the congregation, Mary Janot, who runs a private investigation firm. This is not over. And so he made the call. He said, on your behalf, can I give her the information? Can I share it with her? I said, of course. And she was wonderfully generous and said, we're working on some big projects right now, but as soon as we're done, we'll turn our attention to this. Eventually, Cantor Frankel got a report from Mary Janot saying that they couldn't find anyone with my birth mother's name living in Philadelphia, but they found someone with the same last name who would be about the right age to be my sister. And that all they could do now was contact her. They had a partial hit on somebody whose name was similar to my birth mother's. So with my permission, Mary Janot, I will never be able to say, obviously, how grateful I am to her. She called that person who was, in fact, my biological sister, who told her, yes, I knew my mother had given a child up for adoption. I just learned it when she died at the age of 57, 15 years ago. On her deathbed, she said, go find your sister. And my sister said, I don't have a sister, mom. I have a brother. And she said, don't tell me what I know. Go find your sister. They assumed she was hallucinating because she was at the end of her life. But she wasn't. And a few years later, my grandmother, my biological grandmother, let it slip to my sister that my mother had been pregnant and had given me up for adoption. She welcomed my phone call and was very interested in getting to know me and my story and to share with me everything she could about our biological family. So I flew to Philadelphia a week early this summer. I was going to be on faculty at Camp JRF, and I flew to Philadelphia to meet my sister, my niece, and my three great nieces. When I got home from that trip, I became what my partner Judy would call a bit obsessed with Ancestry.com. And spent a lot of time looking through all of the documents that once were only available on microfiche in libraries, now are right there in our living rooms. And I looked through record after record after record after record. Census logs is the great way to get a lot of this, apparently, who knew, to get this information. Handwritten census logs. And when you study those census logs, as you find another person and another person and another person on Ancestry.com. Here's how it goes. You find a record of birth. Then you find a census that says how old they are. Then you find a marriage license record. Then you find another census that says how old they are now. And another census that says how old they are now. Until you find a death certificate. And after the death certificate, a headstone 
the picture of which you can find on cemetery.com. This happened again and again and again and again and again and again as I went back six generations on one side. And all the way back, the Bernstein family comes from Lithuania. And I always said, but that's not really my story. It's my Jewish cultural heritage, but it's not my story. I'm not a Litvak. I'm a little shiksa baby. I have no Litvak anything. Guess where my biological family's from on my mother's side? Lithuania. (laughs) Turns out I'm a Litvak after all. And as you look through these records and you see a life from birth to death, birth to death, birth to death, over and over and over, I was reminded of that poem that so many of us uh, who attend a lot of funerals have heard that poem called The Dash. That dash between the year of birth and the year of death. That's what we're given. And in that poem, Linda Ellis writes, for the dash represents all the time that she spent alive on earth and now only those who loved her know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say of how you spent your dash? And it had new significance for me as I looked at those records and knew that's going to be every single one of us. Records on microfiche. We are given the glorious mystery, this amazing sacred opportunity to live our dash. We just heard the beautiful Unatana Tokef that uses the metaphor of each of us being sheep tended by a loving shepherd and that each of us passes beneath the staff of that shepherd at this time of year. And rather than that making us insignificant, that metaphor is meant to say we are each unique. We are each special. We are each given one unique life to live. In the words of John Gardner, written in the year I was born, he says, life is an endless unfolding. And if we wish it to be, an endless process of self-discovery, an endless and unpredictable dialogue between our own potentialities and the life situations in which we find ourselves. The potentialities, not just of intellect, but the gifts, the full range of one's capacity for learning, sensing, wondering, understanding, loving, and aspiring. to stay present to that conversation. That's what we're asked to do at this time of year. That's the gift we're given at this time of year. To allow ourselves to witness the conversation between our potentialities and the circumstances of our lives even as they change around us. I recently had trouble at night reading without my eyes tearing. And... I thought, you know, it probably means I need to go to the eye doctor that I haven't been to in, like, 10 years. It was probably time. And so I went to the eye doctor who said, well, the reason, Amy, that you're 50 and haven't had to wear glasses till now is because you have one eye that sees far away and one eye that sees close up. 
And so you really have what some people get with LASIK surgery. You have this monovision that's enabled you to go without glasses for 50 years. Good for you, but the time has come. <laughs> that both of your eyes need to be focused on the same thing. He said, because you think you're seeing just fine, but when I get your eyes both seeing the same thing at the same time, you will notice a depth perception that you've been lacking until now. We see things that are far away. We see things that are close up. We have our attention in two different places most of the time, and we think we're seeing clearly. We can see just fine, thank you very much, but we don't see at very much depth when we walk through the world that way. Worried about what's out there and what's going to come and what's going to be and what hasn't happened yet. And then worried about what I didn't do yesterday and the to-do list and the emails. All the ways we get so caught up. All the ways we're focused in so many different places that we live in true ambivalence and are never really present. Rabbi Gordon Tucker says, we've evolved. We're not homo sapien anymore. We're a new species called homo distractus. We are so good at running from ourselves. We can keep ourselves so busy, says John Gardner, and fill our lives with so many diversions, stuff our heads with so much knowledge, involve ourselves with so many people, and cover so much ground that we never have time to probe the fearful and wonderful world within. By middle life, he says, most of us are accomplished fugitives from ourselves. Yom Hara'at Olam. Our tradition calls this not the birthday of the world. That's what you hear people say, but that's not what Hara'ah is. That's not what Herayon is. Yom Hara'at Olam, the day of the conception of the universe, the pregnancy of the universe. Potential, possibility, beginnings. The unknown, the unknowable, but the joy of digging in. The world as it could be, each of us as we could be, that is what we celebrate on Rosh Hashanah. We're given these lenses of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur to correct our vision. Yom Hara'at Olam the miracle of things potential becoming actual. This is the lens correcting, clearing our focus on what we want. Who do we want to be? What do we want to see grow in our lives, in our world? Who do we wish we would be? The lens of Rosh Hashanah. And we're given the corrective lens of Yom Kippur. What do I need to get rid of if those things are going to be? If that potential is to become actual, what are the ways we sabotage our own desire for growth? What are the ways that we neglect what we want so that it withers in our lives? What are the habits that keep us from fulfilling our own unique potential for, as Gardner said, learning, sensing, wondering, understanding, loving, and aspiring. If we're going to do that, really risk becoming who we want to be, changing, letting go, breaking habits, 
then we need each other. That's why you're here. That's why we do this together. We need each other. I could not have begun writing that letter, making airline reservations, or picking up the phone to call my sister without Cantor Chaim Frankel. Without friends who can love us through the hardest, scariest, most existentially challenging stuff we face. We can do it together. That's what our tradition tells us. Yom Hara'at Olam. This day of celebrating potential. In my bassinet when I was born, there was a nameplate. Everyone gets a nameplate, as you know, in the nursery. And mine said, baby girl, cash out. And for five days, an infant lay there with no parents and no name and no future. But she had potential. And because people were ready to love that baby and take that baby in and show her affection and teach her confidence, educate her, have her belong to a community and a tradition and a people whose story is so much bigger than anybody, one person on microfiche, a story that spans millennia. Because of that, that baby, that mistake, is senior rabbi of the largest reconstructionist, most Kicking congregation on the planet. Because we can love each other into that. We can love each other into our potential. And as KI's own author, Laura Diamond, wrote in her recent new novel, Shelter Us, quote, I can't help but think of her mistake the mistake that led to my mother's birth and therefore mine and my kids, all the choices that led to our whole life, mistakes make us. This is the season during which we acknowledge with courage and hope that our mistakes make us. And we're called by our tradition to choose what and who those mistakes will make us. I've always felt my whole life until this summer like an imposter because Amy Rose Bernstein never got born. Instead, the mistake that I was assumed her identity. And so I've always walked in shoes that I felt weren't really mine. But in meeting my biological sister, in meeting her daughter and granddaughters, in looking at family photographs and meeting other members of my family on Ancestry.com. I now know something about who baby girl Cashel might have been and therefore have realized with an incredible power I never thought possible that I've truly been Amy Rose Bernstein all along. Both of those were true all along. I was a mistake, and I was Amy Rose Bernstein the whole time. 
when we open truly to possibility and potential, when we allow the people who love us to hold us through the hardest stuff we face, we can live into our own possibilities in new ways that were there all along. I have a profound new appreciation for the gift of this life, my story, and the arc of holy potential and sacred possibilities that opens before us this year. Shana Tovah.